This is your Thursday Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Hope you're doing well out there today. Um, Good show coming up here for you. Chris Hine covers the Timberwolves for the Star Tribune. will be with me in just a few minutes here to talk through um, kind of the upcoming draft. We are one week out from the NBA draft. The Wolves have four picks in that draft, including number 19 overall. Um, not likely they probably keep all four picks. I don't think they'd have you know roster spots for four rookies, but you, know, you can see them mixing and matching, maybe finding a trade, finding um, you know a, a, someone that's they can you know make a European or overseas player they could stash for a while who wouldn't come over quite yet, things like that. So it'll be interesting. It's just a, it, after having no picks um, last year in the draft, it'll be a fun night uh, at the very least to see who the Wolves wind up with. So Chris and I will get into a little bit of kind of that process, Tim Connolly and what his decision-making process looks like, D'Angelo Russell, his situation, how that fits into everything. Um, And we talked a little bit of NBA Finals too, so that uh, that will be coming up here in just a few minutes. And then I'll take a longer look at maybe some of the players the Wolves should take at number 19 or could take at the very least. Um, NBA game finals resume tonight. I'll talk about that a little bit. Golden State could clinch another championship tonight, a, a game, a season I could not necessarily have envisioned. Didn't think they had another championship in them necessarily, although I did at the start of these playoffs, I did pick them to win it all, just a hunch, um, but that was more of a hunch than it was a practical thought. Um, or maybe it was looking at the West and just being like, yeah, the West is kind of wide open, but they are taking advantage of that and playing very good basketball. So that resumes tonight. Um, Colorado started off the NHL finals with a overtime win over Tampa Bay on uh, Wednesday night as well. So we can talk about that a little bit. But first, what did I miss? Twins get a series win over the Mariners. Same score as Tuesday. Better result, though, 5-0. This time the Twins win by that score. An afternoon game for the Twins in this one, so that was finished up relatively good fashion. I want to talk about Sonny Gray. Comes right back off the injured list. Second time he'd been on the injured list this season. So he's only made eight starts this season, but those eight starts have been awfully good. You got to keep him healthy. In eight starts, he's pitched 38 and two thirds innings. It's early in the year, kind of like a lot of different pitchers. He wasn't going very deep into games, but has not allowed more than two runs in any of his eight starts. And his last four, four in particular have been very good. He had the three right before the injured list trip where he pitched a combined 19 innings and gave up just three runs and then comes back off the injured list pitching for the first time in two and a half weeks um, against Seattle. Five innings, three runs. I'm sorry, five innings, three hits, no runs, no walks, three strikeouts. So 2.09 ERA for the season. 38 and two-thirds innings, 10 walks, 42 strikeouts, just 26 hits allowed, giving up less than a base runner per nine innings. Um, aside from the health, which you knew could be an issue, you know, with a couple different things popping up for him so far this season, 
Um, aside from that, he's been everything you could have wanted him to be when the Twins made that trade uh, before the season with the with the with the Reds giving up uh, number one first round overall pick, first round pick uh, Chase Petty in the deal. Um, you know, tough to give up a prospect of that caliber, but you see Sonny Gray pitch, and now you realize why it might have been worth it. Um, this guy has been an anchor at the top of the rotation again when he has been healthy, um, and he's you know he's gives the Twins kind of a different look. I'm trying to imagine you know they've had to live life without him for stretches this season just because um, you know because of the injuries, because of because of how things have gone for him this season. Um, but it's uh, you know it's hard to imagine them having much success overall this year if they did not have Sonny Gray in this rotation and he's you know signed for this year ten million dollars um, twelve million dollars next season as well so they've got him for another year if if you know if, if that all works out so that uh, you know that to me was a pretty good deal to get him for two years in here at that at those rates. Um, you know, again, not uh, not out of this world money, and he has had a had a history of injury, but that's pretty good value for someone who can pitch that well at the top of the rotation. And like Phil Miller noted in his game story, Star Tribune, StarTribune.com, we had a good conversation with Phil earlier this week where he kind of hinted that Joe Ryan and Sonny Gray should be coming back in this series, and indeed both of them did come back in the series. Joe Ryan. Not uh, not as effective. He took the loss in that five nothing loss on uh, on Tuesday. But you know, if you think about how well the Twins were able to kind of weather the storm, especially in that you know that stretch against the AL East where they didn't have Sonny Gray, didn't have Joe Ryan, didn't have Bailey Ober, um, and they were able to still go five and four against the Jays, Yankees, and Rays. And now you know schedule. I would say easing up because they do have some important games coming up here. They still got a lot of games against Cleveland and Chicago that will tell you a lot about how the division race is going to go. But, you know, they got through that gauntlet and now they're getting some of their good, you know, good proven pitching back. And that, you know, that that's going to make a huge difference. So that, that to me, uh, that, that to me tells me a lot about kind of where this team is at right now. Rocco Baldelli, Talked about that. I'm going to read his quote. Um, uh, oh, yeah. We've been playing pretty well against some good teams, Baldelli said, but we're a different team at our best when those guys are taking the hill and giving starts like Sonny did today. As we build them up, they'll be even stronger and even better in their starts to come. So, you know, there you have it. It's, uh, you know, if you're looking for reasons for optimism for the Twins, aside from just the fact that they are a first-place team still, just look at the rotation they're bringing back now. They've been pretty good all year in kind of getting through things. Imagine what they could do if they were all reasonably healthy at the same time. Maybe we're going to find that out soon, and maybe you're going to like the results. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake for 24-7 gaming, fun restaurants and bars, and luxurious hotel rooms. And join Club M to bask in the rewards. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. I would like to welcome back Chris Hine to Daily Delivery. Of course, covers the Timberwolves for the Star Tribune. It's uh, it's had a tiny bit of downtime, although, you know, with the hiring of a new president of basketball operations this offseason, I imagine that kind of cut into 
the feeling of, you know, downtime, probably get a little bit more this summer, but Chris, my goodness, the, you know, the draft is a week away. Free agency starts, you know, the week after that, essentially when they can start negotiating and then um, actually announcing these things officially in early July. So a lot of things kind of swirling for the wolves right now that I wanted to pick your brain on um, the first and foremost being the, uh, the man who's going to be in charge with making a lot of these decisions, or at least being, you know, the, the voice and face behind these decisions, Tim Connolly, their new president of basketball operations. You've had a chance to talk with him a couple times now, um, you know, both at the press conference setting and I believe in a, you know, a sit down kind of setting as well as you have gone through those processes, what, what maybe stands out to you from just how he thinks, how he operates, and whether that gives us any insight into what they might be thinking in a pretty big off season. Yeah, I think the thing that's struck me at least a little bit in the press conference and then when I chatted with him about a week or so ago was he seems very collaborative in his decision decision making, um, wants to get a lot of different voices involved, isn't afraid to say he doesn't have all the answers, um, you know, and doesn't really try to fake you into thinking he's some sort of all-knowing basketball guru or something like that. Um, so I think that's that's kind of the approach he wants to take with his front office that he's building and, and kind of just getting a lot of different voices in the room. Everybody argues it out and then as he says you know when they come when they open the door again it's it's a united front and a, and a, a we kind of decision um you know i think previous basketball uh, presence of operations you know gerson roses they, they always projected you know a, a very confident uh, front and not to say tim Connolly isn't but he he's not afraid to say that he doesn't necessarily have all the answers uh, um, and that's why you know he's building the staff that he has and, and wants to take their advice. So I think, I think that's the one thing that stood out to me is that he's a little self-deprecating. There, there was a, a lot of humility, I think in, in some of his comments in that way. Okay. Um, so but that's what stood out to me. Is he going to tell you, did he tell you guys who they're going to draft? Yes. Yes, he did. I'm just keeping it a secret for okay. everybody. So yes, you to secrecy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, as for the draft, when I asked him about that, uh, you know, there's always the, the eternal question of, you know, do you draft the best player available or do you draft for, for need first and foremost? And it, it, these guys tr- tend to say that they're all uh, best player available kind of guys. And, and Tim right. Connolly is no different. Uh, that's also what he said as well. Um, so I think if you're trying to pigeonhole uh, what they might need out of this roster next season, they're not going to get it with the 19th pick in the draft. I, I don't think you're tr- looking to fill a need for the next season. And, and Connolly's thinking is, well, look, rosters change very dramatically and very quickly in the NBA. So what you need one off season isn't necessarily what you're going to need the next off season. So when you have somebody that's going to be here for four plus years, you know, you, you, you can't really try to zero in on a need that you're going to have or that you just need for one season. And that's, that's kind of his thinking. And he said that he's some of the mistakes he's made is when he's tried to focus too much on need uh, for a specific year. And then all of a sudden you, the landscape of your team changes, the outlook of it changes. And then that player doesn't fit anymore and they're not as needed as they once were. 
Yeah, I think that's I think that's smart. I mean, I think most teams, if they were being completely honest, probably draft sometimes with a, a blend of those two ideas. If there's kind of a a tiebreaker, or if they see two people who they think the same of roughly, and one seems like a better near term roster fit, and there's not like a big question of upside or anything like that, I think you know it makes some sense to draft in that direction so you avoid some you know redundancies on your roster and don't have to you know create roster turmoil by then being like well now we have five wings or now we have four point guards what are we going to do kind of stuff but yeah i think that's a that's a good approach in general and they have four picks that that 19 pick being their first round pick but they have three second round picks so a lot of different things they can do a lot of different ways they can go and one thing I think you and I have already talked about this maybe once on the show, but one thing that Denver under Connolly was generally good at was getting value in the draft, not just, you know, hitting on lottery picks, but, you know, like obviously the, the biggest example is Nikola Jokic, who is a second round pick. I don't think you can expect to draft a two time league MVP in the second round uh, more than once a decade or so. Um, probably not even that often, but, um, he does seem to have a, a knack and whether that's him or whether that's the collaborative approach of, of getting some value out of the draft. So it'd be interesting to see what they do and how they kind of use the, use the kind of, uh, you know, assets available to them. Yeah. And, and I think you, know, you have the ability to, to package those, move them, move around the board a little bit. If you want try to get some assets for down the road as well, if you're not going to be, you know, using all these picks this season and they're not going to have enough, <laughs> they're going to have enough roster spots to, to draft four guys and stash them on the roster. So it, it's, it's, you know, G league is always a possibility. International players that you could stash uh, are, are possibilities, you know, in, in that portion of the draft. Um, but there's a lot of options that they could do with, with those picks and, and, you know, we'll see how they choose to, to use those assets moving forward. It does seem like the value of a second round pick has maybe increased in recent years. It almost seemed like they used to be a throwaway. I mean, the Wolves used to just kind of, I don't know, it didn't seem like they even really cared about the second round and, and not in the last five years, but, you know, taking 15, 20 years ago, a second round pick in the NBA was generally not really a, you know, a, a big priority. And in the end now it's, it's still a crapshoot. Does it seem to you like the, those picks have more value now that teams are really, you know, seeing that they can turn those into productive rotation players if they do their homework? I think, I think so. I, I don't know if they've gained or lost value. I think it just depends on where you're at as a team. You know, um, if you have the room to, to let guys develop, um, the second round picks can be very valuable because you can sign guys for relatively cheap to, to longer deals or, or what have you. Um, if you have a long enough, if you're trying to build a contender though, you know, second round picks become just fodder for trying to bolster your roster with maybe more veteran talent, uh, you know, through trades or, or whatnot. So I just think it depends on, on where you're at as a team, how valuable they are. We don't know exactly where the wolves are as a team right now, but you did mention the word trade. Um, that was on my list. D'Angelo Russell. And, you know, this will be the talker for however long it is the talker until there's some sort of resolution to this. A lot of, you know, NBA national people kind of talking about 
D'Angelo Russell being available in a trade, kind of like it's just common knowledge. I think the latest was in the ringer earlier this week as part of their draft preview, suggesting the Wolves might take, uh, I think, the the guard from Kentucky, Washington, and maybe that could be a part of moving on from D'Angelo Russell, who they say they are shopping. And Russell tweeted something about shopping along the way in there too, then deleted it quickly. Just the cryptic cat and mouse game that tends to happen um, during rumor season. As you see it from, you know, you've covered this team for several years now, you've covered the entirety of the Russell era, but now there's a new, you know, a new person in charge. How do you, how do you think that situation ends up getting, you know, getting itself played out? Tough to tell. (laughs) Yeah. I, 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 and I always say this, I always say this when it comes to trades, because, you know, I think what happens in social media when it comes to trying to design trades and what ha- actually happens behind closed doors when you see finished trades come is is usually a very different thing. It's it's so hard to to come up with trade constructs that actually happen in in the real world. You, you know what I'm saying? Yes. Um, so I, it's just hard to tell. It's always hard to tell what a player's true value is to, to me, at least. Um, who's interested and and who might want him. You know, you, you could look around the league and say, well, this team looks like they could use him. This team looks like they could use him, but they may not have any interest at all yeah, for him. Yeah. So, you know, I, I just think this is me personally, you know, saying that I, I think you saw in the playoffs that maybe Russell just isn't the best fit for this roster. Um, you know, I, I wrote that as much after, after the season was over. Um, so I, I think with an expiring deal, you know, you always, if, if you're not going to be signing somebody long-term, you, you try to figure, especially with that much money involved, you try to see what you may be able to get in return. Um, they have a lot of flexibility in the cap coming up after next year as well. Um, you don't want to really give that up either. So, you know, it's, it's just, it's just, we're just going to have to see it play out. You know, it, it's just, I, I hate to say that, but it, it's just too hard to, handicap and predict where, where, you know, trade negotiations might go. I wonder if, you know, this is a case where the decision maker makes a difference just because, you know, Gerson Rosas, who was let go, you know, less than a year ago, not so much for basketball decision-making reasons as for other things. Um, you know, the D'Angelo Russell trade was the signature move of the, the Rosas era. That was the big trade he made. Obviously, you know, he made some draft picks, drafted Anthony Edwards, things like that. But, you know, as far as trades go, that was the signature move he made. And so I wonder sometimes, you know, when a decision maker at the top makes a big splash move like that, they become kind of beholden to seeing it through with that player instead of saying, ah, you know what, we're going to cut our losses here, or this maybe didn't work the way we wanted it to. And maybe, you know, Tim Connolly coming in maybe has a different perspective on things and is not attached to Russell the same way that Rosas might have been. Oh, 100, 100%. And, and that's why I think, you know, you might be seeing some of these rumors out there is, you know, Tim Connolly's coming in with fresh eyes. He's, you know, <laughs> he's got a long, long leash to, to make decisions that are going to last a long time for this roster. And, you know, as he said, it's, you know, he's coming in here to try and, and take a team that's on an upward trajectory and not mess it up. And, and so you, you look at D'Angelo Russell, you look at what he did last year, and there were some very good moments last season, don't you know? Uh, and he's still a starting point guard in the NBA who's going to command a high salary uh, no matter where he ends up. 
Um, but I think you just look at how he fits this current roster with with Anthony Edwards emerging um, and needing the ball a lot. Carl Anthony Towns, uh, all NBA level player, needs the ball a lot. You know, I think as we go forward here, it's it's where does D'Angelo Russell fit in and is a more ball dominant point guard what you want or is it, is it somebody who's going to facilitate a little more and, and be kind of a more traditional point guard? And I think maybe that's where this roster is headed or might be more suitable for this roster uh, as opposed to, you know, somebody who's going to need the ball in their hands a lot and, and need to shoot a lot. Yeah, I think the the one caveat in all this is, you know, beware when you want to wish someone out of town because the player the Wolves traded to get D'Angelo Russell is, let's be honest, um, one really good finals game away from being in the finals MVP discussion, Andrew Wiggins. So let's uh, got to bear that in mind as we as we think about, you know, fits and who uh, who who we want on this team and who we don't. Yeah, exactly. And you, you never know how somebody is going to fit in a certain situation. That's that's part of the that's part of the magic of being a, a, a decision maker in the NBA is you have to forecast this uh, better than the, the peanut gallery like you and me out there. Now, we've seen a few different players potentially, you know, mocked to the Timberwolves at 19. I think I mentioned Washington earlier, you know, if maybe they could go with some size, some shooting. One guy they almost certainly won't be getting is uh, Chet Holmgren, the former Minnehaha Academy standout, likely to be, you know, if not the first overall pick, he will almost certainly be in the top two or three, joining former uh, teammate at Minnehaha, Jalen Suggs, as back-to-back top five picks. Both of them played, of course, at Gonzaga. Such a unique blend of shooting, height, you know, he's, rail thin seven footer you know just it does so many things to affect the game on the court but is also somewhat hard to translate exactly how it's all going to look in the NBA just because he is so slim you are writing about Chet Holmgren for Sunday's papers you've kind of looked at that um what what do you make of of his uh, his journey and and the possibility of him being the first overall pick here on uh, on next Thursday yeah, this is a, uh, you know, I think he's got a chance to join, be the next kind of unicorn big guy in the NBA. You know, Carl uh, Anthony Towns is is one of them. Um, Jokic, Embiid are the others. And, and Chet's got the, he's got the skills to, to join that club, I think, eventually. Um, you know, talking to people around him for the Sunday piece, everybody's, they easily dismiss the concerns about his his frame and, and the strength, which is obviously top of mind for for anybody that that is looking at him. Um, I think that they that they're excited about the prospects of going number one and going to Orlando and playing with Jalen Suggs, but they don't want to get ahead of themselves. Uh, it's a long it's a long complicated process the NBA draft and you know I, I, I all the mock drafts I've been seeing recently have him tending to go number two to Oklahoma city. So I'm not sure how much uh, the Orlando thing might happen, but crazier things have happened, right? Yeah, they have. It should be a fun draft night regardless. I mean, for Wolves fans, it's a, uh, you know, it's, it's an opportunity last year. They didn't have, well, they didn't have a pick at all last year, right? They, they Cause they traded right. the pick to golden yeah. state. So it was kind of like yeah. one of those nights where you're just like sitting around like, well, I guess we'll watch what the other teams do, but they have four picks this year. Like you said, maybe not, 
likely to use all four, but I would guess they would keep a couple of them at least um, and see what see what happens there. Uh, Chris Hine, good stuff. We'll look forward to reading your Chet Holmgren piece on Sunday and everything leading up to the draft next week. And I will talk to you soon. Sounds good, Mike. Talk to you later. Good stuff with Chris Hine. Didn't get a ton into the uh, you know the specifics of who the Wolves might draft. So I want to go to a piece that my colleague Jeff Day had on uh, Star Tribune website uh, Wednesday. Should still be up today. Kind of looking around at different mock drafts in the NBA and seeing kind of where where things sit with who 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 people think the Wolves might or should take. So there's six different players showing up, which, you know, at number 19, not terribly surprising. It's not like when you're picking in the top, you know, top five, where there's probably only a range of two or three players you're probably looking at. But so here's uh here's what Jeff put together. One player, Walker Kessler. He's a center from Auburn. Uh, you know, a big player could help defensively, um, you know, NCAA defensive player of the year. That to me would, uh, would, would be a pretty big, pretty good addition. I've been, I've long thought that Carl Anthony Towns could use somebody next to him who could be a defensive difference maker. You know, for a while, Gorgie Jang kind of filled that role if they were playing alongside each other, but not, you know, not to the, not to the degree that the uh, that that someone like Kessler could, so I like the idea of that pick and letting Towns play more power forward. Frankly, which is probably a position he should be playing more often than not. Um, the that was from ESPN.com. The Ringer says Ty Ty Washington from Kentucky. Um, I think I, I noted this one earlier this week. They think he makes sense because D'Angelo Russell being quote shopped around. Like the idea of Washington and Carlton Towns in a pick and roll, so you know there you have it. That's uh, that 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 would be an interesting pick too, especially if there is a D'Angelo Russell trade in the offing. Sports Illustrated likes Kennedy Chandler, guard from Tennessee. Um, you know, athletic guard. I like that. Um, good pick and roll guys, guys like that. So you can kind of see a trend forming here. People seeing needs for the wolves being more at guard or perhaps someone to uh someone to uh you know help protect the rim with with towns sb nation likes blake wesley notre dame guard um no good good offensive player could can kind of can get his own shot things like that so it could be someone who maybe helps them on that side of things nba draft net likes osmane dieng a guard slash forward from france they they quote they they're saying uh, he's the definition of a high ceiling low floor prospect. The sky's the limit, but if taken too high, he can just as easily fall through the floorboards. The French wing surely passes the eye test, being a smooth point forward with nice size and length, having the ability to either score or create opportunities for his teammates. That's interesting to me. Although I wonder if he'd be ready sooner rather than later. This is a team with a I don't say not win now, but a team that has you know expectations for next season. Don't know if you can wait forever for a prospect to come over and help, but that's an interesting name as well. Last one on the list from NBC Sports: EJ Liddell, power forward from Ohio State. You know, six seven, blocked a lot of shots last season. I wonder if he blocks as many shots in the NBA at that height, but still, that's somebody who could help them as well. They need they need some defensive help. I think that that would be. 
Someone who has more upside on that end of the floor to me would be pretty interesting because Pat Beverly is here next year, but he's not going to be here forever. You need someone who has that mentality, who has that as kind of the uh, the first part of their basketball DNA, not necessarily the second part of their basketball DNA. So intrigued by the names that are maybe on the defensive end more than the offensive end, but you know all these names sound like. Guys, you know, more or less that could help, um, you know, it, it's kind of a blank slate. You, you don't get exactly who you want. But, you know, at 19, you are able to get a quality player. Sometimes someone who's productive can fall through the cracks, and that could be where the Wolves lined up um, this season with the draft. Let's finish with the cooler. It is finals season. NHL caught up to the NBA, finally got game one underway Last night in the finals, the Avalanche jumped out to a 3-1 lead after one. Tampa Bay comes back with two in the second, no scoring in the third, and then Colorado wins it in overtime on a goal by a Burkowski. Just his second of the playoffs, looks like. But that's a big, big win for Colorado, the home team in this series. You know, not devastating for the Lightning. They know how to win these games. They know how to come back in these series. But uh, that's a a pretty important win for Colorado. Darcy Kemper, by the way, gets the win for the Avs, former wild goalie. So good start to the the playoffs, uh, good start to the Stanley Cup Finals there. I'll be watching that series with interest. NBA Finals could be over as soon as tonight. Golden State trying to finish things off in Boston. Still got a hunch this one goes seven. It's been that kind of series. Tough to close out a good team on their home court. But, you know, the Warriors have that championship kind of instinct. Maybe that's overrated. I don't know. But it does seem like they have something something in their kind of makeup that that could, could find that extra gear. Steph Curry doesn't want this to go a game seven. I'm sure they'd love to win. You know, right now, doesn't matter what court it's on, doesn't matter if they'd be celebrating in front of their fans or not. Finish this thing off tonight and, you know, a, a championship again, like I said at the jump, that I did not think they had in them at the start of the year, but that would be a real credit to this organization if they were able to get it done again tonight. That will do it for the show today. Should be talking to Kent Youngblood on Friday's show. Got to talk links and the start of the Gophers women's basketball summer off-season program with all of their talented young freshmen coming in to hopefully turn this program back in the direction they want it to go. Thanks for joining me here today. Back at it again on Friday.